One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on Talk Radio? Too many children to care for? Too many jobs to manage? Well, never fear. Helpers are here in the shape of the Matthew Wright Podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny, bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on Talk Radio. Well, it's a very difficult situation, and I'm sure it's going to be difficult for Philip Schofield too, uh, even though he says his, his wife, Steph, 27 years they've been married, has sort of... Um, I think she's with him every sort of step of the way mm-hmm. on this journey, although I don't think anybody knows right now what the future may mean. All the focus, understandably, in the Philip Schofield story is on Philip because he's the TV personality, but I think many of you are probably fascinated as to what happens to the, um, the straight partner, for want of a better word, in the marriage, the one that's no longer required, uh, the ex or soon-to-be ex-wife. Um, I'm joined on the line now by a comic called Sarah Bowles, um, who knows a little about this. Uh, good afternoon to you, Sarah. Hello. Nice talking to you. Um, so what happened to you then? Um, well, in some ways it was, was quite similar. I was married for 17 years. Um, Ten years down the line, I realised beyond doubt that my my husband was gay. He wasn't out at the time. He didn't come out till three years after I asked him to leave the family home. Um, and, and yeah, so so that that was that was my situation. But, but he didn't come, come was, out to me. I was going to say, can, can I ask how? Uh, as someone who's often accused of being gay, which is myself, it's quite interesting to hear people say, what What made you so sure he he was gay? I, I think I was very lucky because I was a Samaritan at the time. Right. And I had a number of, of married gay men phone, phoning in and wanting to know where my shift next shift was and telling me oh. sort of their, their story. And that's not the usual way Samaritan works. It happens like that sometimes, but mm. not in the main. So that was quite unusual in itself. But then the more they spoke to me, the more I realised the things they did to get time on their own were happening in my own home. So it was it was a very gentle way of finding out, um, which I think was probably very helpful. I, I would have thought it would be, but nevertheless, I don't, however gentle 
one can address this subject. It involves emotions, it involves raw emotions, uh, feelings uh, you know, of, of great hurt and pain, and I think we can all understand those. Um, we, uh, with Philip Schofield, we, we just really hear and have just heard about him, and I, I'm fascinated about how, how you felt through all of this. Um, it, during the, in the early years of the relationship, the, the, the first ten years in the marriage, did you have suspicions then? Not... I had suspicions at the seven-year mark, and I confronted him, um, and he denied it. And I was delighted because that was exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but it yes, wasn't. yes. But <laughs> as it turned out, it wasn't the truth. Um, I I thought he suffered from depression. I thought mm -hmm. the times he went missing, he he was he was depressed. But uh, turns out he had more uh, more. Uh, yeah. So how, to do than that. so how did um, the truth come out in the end? I, I, I mean, I basically followed him. I, I was working in the city. I told him I was going to work and I followed him. And so I knew beyond doubt um, at that point. And was that difficult? Bearing in mind, you, you've already had your suspicions. You put your suspicions to him on a number of occasions over a number of years. You finally have the sort of incontrovertible truth in front of you. Did that hurt? It did. But, yeah. uh, but at, at, the, at the time, his mental health was very bad. Mm. So I was, I was more concerned about his mental health and the safety of the children than I was about... How I felt, and, and and quite frankly, I was relieved by that time to know what was going on because I'd spent at least two or three years literally not knowing why what I thought yeah. was happening w was not what was actually happening. So, um, and it, there was an awful lot to do over, over the next five, six years. Um, so I didn't have a huge amount of time to feel too sorry for myself. It, I, it's, it's such a sort of crass question, uh, but I, 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 I guess I've got to ask it, is whether you've ever considered uh, infidelity from man to man different from infidelity man to woman? Um, I mean, not, not particularly different. You know, I, yeah. I, um, I had my offers during that time, but I was married, so I didn't, yeah. didn't feel I could take them up. And as far as, on one respect, you know, I feel he was in the same position however um I, w I wish he'd been able to speak to me sooner because that would have made life much did, better why what explanation did he offer for not engaging with you about this we know we know we never really discussed that because he he was he was so deeply in denial um it, it took him three years was it, so, was he in de sorry was he in denial to himself to you to both both, I think. Right. It's 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 so human beings are such complicated creatures. It's yeah. it's it's and to think that you know this is not an uncommon scenario either, Sarah. You, you're clearly aware from from your Samaritans days. So how how do we go from you finding out the truth? And you said it took a number of years for for everything to 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 work out thereafter. So what happened in those those next three or four years? Um, basic, basically, I had to, as I say, he, he, he was not in a good place. I believe he was being blackmailed, but I don't have concrete right. proof of that. Um, and, and so there was a lot of money missing, and he was 
he was unpredictable, shall we say. So I felt I had to put the children in a place of safety. So I put them in a boarding school, um, which was was a you know a huge lifestyle change for us. I'd never expected my children to go to boarding school. Luckily, I was in a position that I could increase my earnings. Um, But but yeah, it was. And and I was very scared that he would commit suicide, which uh, thankfully he didn't. But that that kind of took up the next. But and and, and his and his mental health was driven entirely by him wrestling with the issue of his sexuality. Would you say? As, as I say, I also think he was being blackmailed. I yeah. think that's what pushed him over the edge. But I, I, I won't probably ever know that for sure. So so, where are you and presumably your ex husband now? Yeah. Uh, are you on friendly terms? No, he he's um, he chose not to speak to me or the children about fifteen years ago. And all the children. Yeah. And the children are now adult. Yeah. And have they have they expressed any interest in, in reaching out to him? No, n- not now. They did. They did for for certainly. I can't remember whether it was 10 years or, or, or so, but um, it might have been 10 or 12 years, but certainly they've got the message and, and for the moment, that's... It's quite... It's, I, I, I don't know you from, from Adam, Sarah, but I, I still have this sort of vague sense of sadness that, uh, that you've obviously, and I think it's come across in this interview... You've been on your journey. You've you've had to deal with an awful lot, uh, and you sound so calm and, and rational. It seems a great shame that there was nothing to save from seventeen years of marriage. Well, that's, that's tricky when you've got three wonderful yeah, children yeah. and a comedy career that's uh, going well because because of how ridiculous the marriage was. <laughs> <laughs> Is the, if you could, if you could turn back time, as Cher once said, if you could turn back time. What would you have changed? Would you have avoided marrying him in the first place? Well, as I say, that's really tricky because I wouldn't have my children, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be without them. Um, I think if I, if I, if I, if I could have spotted it sooner, I could have protected us a bit more. Um, so you're blaming yourself. Not blaming myself. Just if I if if I could turn back time, that's the only thing I'd change. Um, but you know, um, things. It's, it's a difficult situation. I'm aware it's a difficult situation yeah. for Philip Schofield's family. So I don't yeah. want to make light of it. Yeah. But actually, life is life is pretty good right now. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Right now, I want to look at what's been going on in the Republic of Ireland because we touched base uh, last week with Bernard Purcell and uh, we're going to do so again in just a moment. Uh, An awful lot has changed over there since we last spoke. Uh, Sinn Féin now leads the race to form a government in the Republic after winning the most first-preference votes because they've got proportional representation down there in their general election. It's a little bit confusing, uh, to me at least, because uh, Sinn Féin uh, basically only fielded, I think, half the number of candidates needed to, to uh, to form a government 
have a majority. And I don't quite understand why, so we're going to address that with Bernard. The other bit we've got to look at is um, Sinn Féin's president, uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, says she wants to lead a coalition supported by smaller parties and she doesn't want the two big boys, the centre-right superpowers, uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Foyle, uh, involved. And uh, I'm not entirely sure how that works either. So we're going to turn to Bernard Purcell, editor of The Irish World. He's on the line now. Good afternoon, sir. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Um, very well. And nice talking to you again. Perhaps we could explain why Sinn Féin fielded so few candidates. Because it was licking its wounds from defeats in oh. the um, <laughs> European and local <laughs> elections. Um, but uh, keep in mind that uh, even people who hadn't expected to be elected this time round, but who stood and who'd lost their seats in the local government elections, uh, were returned. There was one lady in uh, Kildare who went on holidays because uh, her sons had bought her as a consolation prize, and she didn't expect um, the she didn't actually expect the election until uh, May. So, uh, but she was returned. So, uh, despite what Mary Lou says about um, they were ready for this, they listened to everybody so th uh, this is why they're doing so well Jerry Adams himself said that they, well he'd expected the party to um, keep its seats, he was taken by surprise by the surge as well. So the <sighs> I can't quite work out, because I, I'm not so familiar with Ireland's proportional representation, I can't quite get a handle on how this is going to progress and how it is possible for someone with, what, 24% of the votes or 24.5% of the votes to consider forming a coalition government without either of the two major parties on board. Well, your instincts are correct. It's not. It's, an, it's a non-starter. Essentially, they won't have enough seats uh, to right. form uh, to actually have a majority. You'd need 81 if you take yeah. into account the uh, Speaker of the House, the Count Corla. Um, so it looks like Fianna Fáil, which contested um, far more constituencies, as did Fianna Gael, but Fianna Fáil will have the largest number of seats because they will benefit from transfers. Um, and but, Michael and, Martin suggested. I mean, he seems to have softened his tone towards Sinn Féin um, since the weekend. He's, he's saying the door is open to an alliance. Uh, he said that they won't lose their principles overnight, that there are fundamental differences between them, but he has, he's a Democrat and he has to rep um, recognise the will of the people. And One of his predecessors, Bertie Ahern, has said it's the will of the people. Uh, they do represent a, a quarter of the voters, something like 25%. Um, so you would have a representative government if... Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin were able to find some way of supporting um, a government, a Fianna Fáil-led government. But, as you say, Mary Lou has started, she's left um, answer phone messages to a couple of the smaller <laughs> parties, um, and they haven't got round to answering them yet, but the, uh, she has been uh, ringing round, but I think that's more for show than anything else. We, um, we, we, we talked briefly last week about who Sinn Féin are, I and mean, I think most people of a certain age will, will immediately recognise them as the sort of political wing of the provisional IRA in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. And they, they are pretty, pretty left of centre, aren't they? I mean, they, they, they're, they're fairly, uh, fairly left wing. Um, some might they even say Marxist. No, no, true. They have evolved. In the past, they've also been right wing. They've been quite uh, reactionary Catholic yes, and anti-European. Yes. Um, but the three parties, um, it's gone from a two-party uh, duopoly in Irish politics uh, to a three-party. Um, it's, it's split three ways, and they represent about 66% of the vote. Now, what's interesting is a century ago, the party, the original Sinn Féin, from which all three of That's these right. uh, parties in which have their roots, uh, in the first uh, 100 years ago, they were getting 66% of the vote as one party. So um, <laughs> it, there, it's history sort of pulling itself together. And one of the... You 
talk about the association with terrorism. An awful lot of the voters who've come out in this instance, and um, they've so clearly expressed a view for Sinn Féin with them, because they've run away with the first preferences, mm-hmm. um, is that... Um, they're concerned about bread and butter issues. They're yes. concerned about uh, housing. They're concerned about uh, joblessness. They're concerned about homelessness. Brexit, as we said last week, could have been an issue had uh, Leo Varadkar uh, held the election back in November because um, Sinn Féin was still on the back foot about not going into storm and, and seemed to be holding up progress. But um, it, keep in mind as well that everyone, it, this isn't quite the collapse in the vote for the ruling Fine Gael uh, government that you might think. It was a minority government. 75% yes. of voters in 2016 had not supported them and voters are showing um, their, uh, their disdain for uh, that minority government which um, it, it was telling them that the economy was doing well yet they didn't feel it. I mean, much, much of the, the, the dismal fortunes pinned on, on Leo Varanka himself because again uh, my perspective is based on him popping his head up talking about Brexit and uh, I always thought he spoke very well and very clear looked like, a, looked like a great leader to someone like myself but obviously hasn't resonated at the polls. Um, well, unusually for, uh, for Leo Varadkar, um, it took something like five, uh, five attempts to actually get his seat and he did not bring anyone in on transfers. The same That's happened true. to Michal yeah. Martin in Cork and to uh, Simon Coveney, uh, the t- uh, tarnished the deputy um, Taoiseach, or deputy prime minister. Uh, so that is unusual. That is definitely a statement by voters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the fact that people were being told that the economy was doing so well, yet they could not see it. Now, for the first time in something like 10 years, there hasn't been this sense of absolute fear about what will happen to the economy on economic issues. It's bread and butter, life issues. It's the health service, not in a good way. Um, people, a young generation who feel that they're being priced out of even renting, never mind buying homes, um, and the insecurity in the job market. So that, that displacement, that alienation is very, very much there. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio.